Terrence McKenna, I had the great fortune of being a personal friend with him and spent some quality time speaking. I clearly remember an occasion that we spoke about this. He said that in the Amazon where the people are raised with the plants, the lessons are already incorporated into people's life. So being such a foreign thing and such, you know, like we're not raised with a, in, amongst a sacred cultural way of life. A lot of us are like, you know, like, oh my God, this is nuts. Like consumer culture, industrial revolution. We want like to return permaculture back to the land. But that still doesn't mean we're raised in a sacred way of life. You know, even we have that desire to return. So the ayahuasca is so foreign to the modern mind. And then like, we have to find a, a justification excuse. You know, it's very hard for modern people to just like throw it into the wind and go, we're all one, you know, like just haha, laugh while you're dying, you know, like. A lot of the people that serve it don't prepare it. If you're not preparing your own medicine, you don't really know what you have. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Psychedelic Conversations. We have a returning guest in the house today. Welcome, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much, Susan, and to all the listeners. Thank you for being here and creating this time to spend with us and uh, share your wisdom. And just for the context, I want to say a few things about you, Jonathan, for our listeners, in case this is their first time meeting you and uh, like I said you are a returning guest this is our second conversation mm -hmm. and we will add the first conversation link in the show notes so they can check that out as well mm -hmm. so Jonathan is a facilitator and the author of the Rainforest Medicine and he is uh, the the book is covering on the preserving indigenous science and and biological diversity in the upper Amazon Mm -hmm. He spent his years, past 25 years more, in the mm -hmm. learning and uh, facilitating and practicing these indigenous um, ways of uh, medicine. So this is a really good time to revisit um, Jonathan's work. And uh, I really appreciate the latest blog that he's gifted us. Um, Jonathan, before we dive in, just to give a more insight into your background what brings you to the medicine for our listeners before we dive into your blog well i was raised in ecuador and when i was young lad i think like about 12 or years old or so um I, you know you could say you know a little bit on the wild side <laughs> And uh, back then in Ecuador too, you know, it was like you could, it's a whole different reality than it is today. You could, just the nature of the, of the way things were, just pretty much alone, you, you know, you to just do whatever the hell you pleased. And so at 12 years old, you know, like unleashed and a little too much for my parents. So they were like, she had, my mom had a friend who was an ethnobotanist. Who I'm sad to say, I, I, I reached out on all the social medias, but I've never been able to re-encounter him again. But um, he he was visiting indigenous community in in the Amazon of Ecuador and Amazon. My mom sent sent me with him, 
in those days, there was no, there was now these like tunnels blasted to the road from the town of Banyas down to Puyo. The family lived in the outskirts of Puyo. And um, the road was very windy and a cliff face going down. And so the, the buses would go to the church and the, 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 pre, the pastor or the father would put holy water in the radiators and bless the <laughs> bless the buses before they went down. It's pretty classic. So yeah, that I um I I drank the medicine of the ayahuasca the first time when I was like 12 years old with um my mother's friend. He he said to me, I'm you know going to be gone all night and you have to stay here in this little house alone. And I was like are you crazy? <laughs> you know, so he's like, I was like, I'm not staying here alone. He's like, you have to stay. Nothing's going to happen. We found back tomorrow. So, so I was like, well, well, he'll see. Well, I guess we'll see about that. So he walked off and I snuck after him quietly and ended up at the ceremony lodge. And the tradition mandates that once someone arrives at the lodge, they have to drink or stay there all night. So next thing you know, I'm drinking the ayahuasca when I was just about 11 or 12 years old. So that's the first time I had the experience. And then later, we moved to the United States when I was 15. I went up to, to study at um, in Northern California. This is ages ago now. Um, botany and music at Humboldt State University. But um, I just started feeling this energy of the rainforest. And I wanted to go back since I was studying botany in particular. And I did an exhibit at the library about the medicinal plants of the rainforest and put a little exhibit together. It wasn't long after that that I started you know, you know, finding avenues to get back and found the connection. Of a of a group working on on conservation, two different organizations. One that was starting a medicinal plant garden, another that was about to work with the the Wawarani, um indigenous group on the demarcation of their lands. And I got in touch with them, and both invited me to come down. And anyway, one year leave of absence from college in 1990 turned into ten years. <laughs> ten years in the Amazon, and. Uh, I never really went looking for the medicine when I came back. It wasn't like I went back to Ecuador to drink yahe. I went back to save the rainforest. And um, because when I had studied at, at Humboldt State University, um, a very strange thing or synchronicity occurred that if synchronicities occur, you know, whatever that, you know, connection happened. Like, so... I met a gentleman on the camp on the during lunch who, who was raving about Ecuador and how in the rainforest they're destroying the rainforest, the oil companies, and we need volunteers to help gather um, signatures. And I was just 17, fresh in college. And I was like, oh, of course, I'm, I'm raising Ecuador. Yeah. So I started gathering signatures, helping just, you know, um, helping for these um denouncements of you know nefarious activities of oil companies on indigenous lands we'd get signatures to this organization in san francisco the rainforest action network who knows what they would do with it but probably try to pressure you know someone to you know governments but i mean anyway um but what impact it has who knows because you know that's a whole other story after some time the fellow who was organizing this came up to me and said hey man we're cousins i was like we're not cousins, we're brothers. <laughs> He's like, no, no, I wrote my grandmother. And, and she said, ask him if your mom is named Esther and your father Leonard. And, and if he has a sister named Laden, if so, then you're, you're cousins. So it turned out that Dan Close and I were cousins. He got me. So that was too cool. I was like, oh, my long lost cousin, you know, like recruits me on campus. Um, 
But when I went back to Ecuador, I went specifically out of concern to try to ameliorate, you know, somehow be involved in rainforest conservation. And I had drunk ayahuasca when I was 11 years old, and I knew about it, and I'd read about it. Like, I read the book The Wizard of the Upper Amazon and the Rio Tigre de Beyond, and I was studying botany. I knew all about it. But it, it wasn't, I don't know, it didn't call me. I wasn't, like, interested. Like, I'm not, like, going to Ecuador to drink yahe or learn out about ayahuasca. I went to go specifically to see how it could be a part of protecting the ecology. That was always my first interest. And then um, one thing led to another. And, you know, I was invited to work on a project with, um, well, a, a bunch of things happened. But eventually, basically, you know, I was invited by the elders to drink because we were working on projects to help secure their ancestral homelands. And next thing you know it, we're drinking the Yahe and that. So I went in through that avenue. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I gave a talk once at the Envision Festival. And mm -hmm. um, I had two talks. One was on rainforest conservation strategies. The other was on ayahuasca and Yahe. At the Rainforest Conservation Strategies talk, only about five or ten, you know, less than ten people came. At the one on Ayahuasca and Yahed, it was like 350 or 400 people. What is and, what do you think is going on there? Well, Everyone's I, the interested. Talk, yeah. Fortunately, the first one was the talk on rainforest conservation, and the second was on ayahuasca because it was able to because it had me thinking. So my talk started, and I was just sitting there for a while. Even someone said, uh, you can start now. And I said, No, I know I can start. I'm just wondering what to say because I'm a little perplexed how why there's only less than 10 people at the conservation talk and like hundreds at the ayahuasca talk. So I'm glad I told the whole group, I'm glad that I gave that talk first so I could see this pattern. And so I'm going to start by saying this. If you're all that interested in ayahuasca to come and talk to it, and you eventually have the opportunity to drink the heroic dose, I bet you money next time you'll be at the conservation talk. <laughs> Yes, I guess. Uh, do you mean that uh, because of the trending, because of the mainstreaming, people are interested in coming from a consumerism mindset? Like, I want to find it, drink it, learn about it. Uh, you know, then. Uh, but but you're saying the the conservation of the rainforest is is kind of like the the foundation that we need to learn first. We need to learn about where this medicine is coming, the traditions, and. Of course, yeah. well, I mean, conservation is a complicated thing. Most people, I'm sure everyone at the Ayahuasca Talk are concerned about the forest. Just sometimes people don't have an avenue or a way through or even though like, so that's a more complicated thing. But also we can look at it as a plant medicine in a way is like the most recent evolution of the rainforest reaching out to save itself through us, basically. You know, like, you know, look, look, like this, you know, like network of like the mycelial network is spread across the globe to help prove the truth of unity. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, you know, ultimately like, you know, nothing, I mean, like from a, like a, from like a transcendental perspective, there's nothing to save because nothing exists. You know, like the the sound of one hand clapping. You know, if we if we drink yahe, it's all just a serious joke. It's just like we're all going to get crunched and sucked into some black hole. And now, you know, they discovered that you know the black holes are like way bigger than we thought, and also that you know before the black, you know, this is just. Yeah, the Big Bang existed now that like all the scientists are saying we're sorry on this like YouTube channels, the, the James Webb telescope that before the Big Bang, there was another, you know, universe. And so it's just an eternal continuum life, you know, this, this phenomena we call existence, and it just undergoes eternal transformation. So, you know, but um so Jonathan, so would you say it's an educational, it's a lack of education rather than, you know. Uh, so you know, ten people attending to your rainforest reservation talk, as opposed to you know, yeah, ayahuasca talk. Is it lack of education, lack of interest, lack of what is it that? What is it? Do you think? 
It's, it could be no lack of education, lack of understanding, because most people probably are clueless at the rainforest. A lot of those festival goers, you know, they're, they're just young people out of college. And who knows, like, sad to say, most of them are probably absolutely clueless that there's even a rainforest that's being destroyed, you know. But another high or the latest, like, that's, you know, like novelty of like, wow, you can actually have these experiences. And, you know, we're trapped in these concrete jungles and, you know, we... And that we can actually like break out of the confines of our mind, experience God or something sacred or something divine, you know. So, but that's the way through, you know, the medicine. And also, there's a lot of articles, a lot of people talking about this. That's why, like in my latest blog, the delicate nature of the ayahuasca and yahe, I had that comment about this. Um, just yeah. one of gazillion articles that have been published, but this one specifically was in the New Yorker magazine, which is, you know, we could say probably, I would say it's a mainstream magazine to some extent. And, um, yeah, and it was called I the new the latest drug in the age of kale about how like tech workers and you know Silicon Valley so like and that's um and it said in there there's like hundreds of ceremonies per night I don't know how they come up with that conclusion you know but going at any given night in New York City there's like hundreds of ceremonies going on um wow that's insane that's yeah insane. that's what it said in the article I don't know it wasn't like verified with any like you know it's like. Yeah, how they came up with that conclusion, but um, I have a feeling it might be true. I have a feeling it might be true, just because from a media person observe from my media hat on, and because I was at the Denver Psychedelic um, Science Conference in June, and you know there was a twelve thousand gathering in one convention center, um, and I remember like speaking to different different people. And they said that some of the rooms, some of the rooms that delivering speak uh, talk, you know, guest speakers uh, delivering talks on um, the 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 original wisdom, the lineage, and all of those things, they were empty. And when someone was delivering a talk on uh, harm reduction, how to take ayahuasca, how to, you know, all these like integration and all these kind of talks, people were queuing outside. It was like overpacked. It, it reminds me of that video of that of Pink Floyd, Echoes, when they filmed it at Pompeii. Have you ever seen that, Pink Floyd? No. They had to like like hire like four different independent sound engineers and the government had to like, they spent crazy amounts of money just to like get the Italian government to give them the permission. And finally all the sound engineers like basically, no, it's going to be fine. It's not going to all, cr-. their speakers won't make all the, the artifacts crumble. And so they they played this concert just for the gods, basically Pink Floyd Echoes. It's called at Pompeii. There's no one there. It's like the ancient Roman amphitheater right. just going off without shirts on, super casual Pink Floyd's. This reminds me of that. Hopefully those people just spoke because I'm sure there's a lot of spirits in the room listening. <laughs> that would have been a cool video. Some like traditional elder in full regalia giving a talk to an empty room, but like with just acting like it was full because it probably was with the spirits ultimately. Mm-hmm. it's just a big joke yeah a friend of mine was asking me the other day like aren't you concerned about all the ayahuasca symbols going haywire and i was like no he's like how, how come well yeah i am concerned that's why i write these articles because the whole guide the yahe bard someone but the reason why i'm not that concerned is ultimately some people are dumb enough to want to get themselves kicked around like a soccer ball that's their problem but the true issues are much deeper than what we need to be concerned about um, because ultimately all these things like, you know, the Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together. But those people, you know, like if you'd climb up onto the wall, the psychedelic experience, you fall off, basically, and you get shattered. Ultimately, it's, you know, yeah, it's a setback. And, you know, there's ways to prevent that so that you can. And um, But 
those experiences too help people to take life more seriously, pull themselves back together when they integrate, when they, when they, um, what really happens and why that happened. Then yeah. they become much wiser, much deeper human beings. So, I mean, the the plant medicine, I think, eventually, even though there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens, and there's more and more people, you know, trying to direct this in an auspicious way, providing information for the sincere seekers to um, study, so that because there's, you know, like according to different traditional guidelines that there's ways to use these sacred plant medicines so that they only cause positive effects there's no need for all these like like let yourself become some like ping pong ball of like random spirits you know who they are that love to kick things around to see if they'll wake up through some hard shakings you know like ultimately it helps everyone you know people to become deeper human beings so that's a good thing but there is ways of avoiding setbacks for sure yes Absolutely. Jonathan, I really appreciate this blog and this is why we're having this conversation. Um, I want to just share with our listeners, I mean, the link would be in the show notes for you guys, but this blog is literally everything. Summary, it's the summary of where we are in the psychedelic renaissance that we'd like to call it. Um, and I see you, Jonathan, as just coming in and demystifying it all, like coming in and just messing up the whole, this, the direction of, of the trajectory of where we're headed and you come in and you counter force, like force of nature with this information. Uh, and the, the name of the blog is, you named it, The Delicate Nature of Ayahuasca and Yahe. So please, let's dive in. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about also, um, you have this real deep understanding of the spirit and the physical and the everything in between and which is very rare to see someone balanced in this because sometimes I meet um, ayahuasca facilitators who are fully into the exorcism and like you said uh, more of the perpetual darker like uh, let's take out entities and you know all this kind of like almost like um, fantasy world and then you have the other side the medical you know the therapeutic the medical no, only, you know, psychiatrists and the doctors should serve it in this cleaned, uh, desensitized spaces with, you know, monitors and stuff like that. It's, it's a crazy um, wild, wild west out there, right? <laughs> so I think your wisdom is highly appreciated and needed at this moment. So please tell us, um, for our listeners, let's say if they've just stumbled upon ayahuasca, because you you sometimes say ayahuasca, sometimes you say yahe. <laughs> let's start there. Okay, yeah. One, um, just before answering that question, one thing that came to mind when you were speaking, like when you're mentioning how I come into demystified, um, Don Pablo Maringo, who I was blessed to have the friendship with, the um, visionary painter from Peru, um, he he spoke to me once and about explained the vision, one of the visions of the Sierra Punta, the the phantom boat, and so at first he said the yahe or the ayahuasca pot is covered in a mist and you can't see the designs, but when the um, the spirit vessel comes along, it it parts the mist, and then all the muses with their harps and all the spirits of the water come and all the spirits of the forest come and everything appears and can be seen. So you need that energy to come, or else we're just looking at the mist like just we're just like tranced on the the surface of like oil and water mixing just the you know the sheen instead of the the actual the deeper content of what this is really intended to show but yeah the ayahuasca and yahe is um they're they're they're, they're two different traditions they're they're similar 
plants in the sense they have the same, we could say base plant or the mother plant, which is the, the vine. Um, taxonomically, you know, nom nominated as Beni stereopsis copy. And so uh, of the ayahuasca vine or the yahe vine itself, there's many varieties. And um, some of the, um, there's ancestral varieties. Many varieties have been lost too as well too from human migrations in the Amazon. But um, there's a lot of ancestral varieties and that's a whole other phenomenon. Um, and then the admixtures, there's a, an array of admixtures. And the two most principal ones are either Psychotria viridis, Chakruna, or also known as Amiruka Panga, Samairuku Panga. In my book, I explain the names, the meaning of the names, the beautiful names. Chakruna means, Chak is bridge, and Runa is person, so it's the bridge person. But Runa is a very deep word. It's not just person. Runa in the indigenous Kichwa cosmology or way of looking at the world. Runa is a couple, a man and a wife, or an elder or a human being who's um, basically balanced internally. That's why like sometimes young leaders, if they go to a meeting, they can't go. If they're not married, they have to bring their sister or their mom because they won't even be paid attention to if they go alone, if they're like under a certain age, they're not considered runa. So runa is like a whole being. So it's that whole integrated being, the bridge of the being. So it's also like the bridge between spirit worlds. The, the Kitra name in, in Ecuador, Amiruka, for that admixture, the Secretary of Redis is Ami is like, or Samai is wisdom, but Ami means like sleepy, like dormant wisdom. And um, Ruka is old, from Ruku, old. So it's Samai Ruku, Amiruka, which means like old wisdom leaf. So, and um, and then the other admixture that's used is the Diplopterus caberana, which is a vine in the same family as the Banisterops copy of the mouth, Thigiaceae family. And this um, this is, in Peru, it's known, some of the common names are Chagropanga, in Ecuador, Chalipanga, which is a nice name because Chali comes from two words. Chali means kindling, like the small wood that's used to start the fire, so it's like what's used to spark the flame. And then and then uh, chalina is like something that you cloak yourself with, like a shawl, a tunic. So it's, it's which also is not just like something that keeps you warm, but the tunic represents like your wisdom, your cosmology, how you got, your, the way you live your life. Um, so it integrates the visions and incorporate into our everyday life, like a cloak that you wear. Like, so there's a lot of... Um, the indigenous languages are highly symbolic. Basically, one word can mean lots of many, many different concepts. One word literally can represent an entire cosmology. <laughs> you can talk all day about one word. Um, ayahuasca and Yahya are different traditions. In my book, I call them the indigenous science of ayahuasca and the indigenous science of Yahya. Um, they're different. The Yahya came from um, the Western Tucanoan language speaking groups. At the turn of the century, before most of these indigenous populations perished from illnesses they had no immunities to, entire clans disappeared. The Tetete until the 1970s still existed. They're gone now. Um, before that, at the turn of the century, many clans vanished of um, Western Tucanoan language-speaking groups. Today, they're an ethnic minority, highly reduced. There's mainly the Payaguaje and the Piaguaje and other, a few others too. What, um, and they're known as the Sequoia or the Siakopai. Um, 
they they learn the tradition that you have from, from the God's multicolored people, a, a legion of divine immortals that in a very remote wilderness area taught everything that the Sequoia know about the traditions of Yahweh and all the different ways of using it, such as the sunrise renewal tea, where you wake up at three in the morning and drink gallons and vomit and vomit and vomit. And then the regular Yahweh water, which is just the way most common ceremonies are done as basic educations cleansing. And then the Ul Yahweh, or the West Sequoia had the very thick Yahweh, which is used for graduation ceremonies. They taught him everything. And um, that got, you know, and then, but the ayahuasca traditions, they were originally, according to Don Pablo Maringo, um, brought forth by the Inca, which, make, which makes sense because ayahuasca is a Quechua word. But it was a very specific group of Inca, um, the Inca priests, the Shidis. And these Incas, they received it from the grave of Manco Capac. Manco Capac and Mama Oakley were the founding progenitors of the Inca people. Some le one legend says they were taken out by Huidacocha, the, the sun god from from the from Lake Titicaca, and they were given the golden rod, and where they placed that rod, where it sank straight down, is where they were to build their city. That's where Cusco is today. And in Cusco, there's a specific spot where supposedly that that, that occurred. Um, so from the grave of Manco Capac, who's believed to have lived to 800 years old, comes the ayahuasca and the chacruna plants. And then, but the, there's very different aspects of these traditions. Like, it's so Manco Capac gifted these plants first. Um, he summoned his wife, but she, when she saw him rise from the grave to explain to her how to use these plants, she was startled, is what the legend says. So he summoned his one of his disciples named Roca. Roca learned, and Roca is the first ayahuasquero, according to the Quechua Indian traditions of the Inca. And then since um, the Incas had a lot of intercultural change with other groups, but specific, like the, the, they, 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 um, they taught different Amazonian groups, the ayahuasca traditions, um, and the Hunikui, the, the Ashan Inca, and the Shipibo, and then the, the Mestizos, and then the, the the foreigners coming to learn, um, and then also from the um, the um, indigenous blacks that then founded ayahuasca churches in Brazil. So the ayahuasca tradition is a syncretic mix of many many different. It's been passed down and, and transformed to adapt to each. So there's lots of aspects like the dieting with different kinds of plants, and sometimes ayahuasca brews they'll add in a lot of other planta maestras. But the sequoia. Or the traditional Yahya brews are only two plants, and they also pound all the bark off too, as well. So it's less um, less tannins, which makes it less vomitive. And that's because in the traditional in the Sequoia Yahya tradition, first they vomit a lot to clean out, clean out, clean out, and have the body come closer to the medicine. And I'll tell you, the renewals can be wicked strong too. Like you vomit, 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 and then suddenly you're like the full. DMT land for like you know half hour and then you're eating breakfast at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, you can have very strong visions with the renewal sunrise renewal tea, but it passes quicker. Some sequoias don't won't even drink the strong yahe because it it lasts too long, and they like to wake up in the morning at three in the morning, vomit, renew, have cool visions, and then be on back to work. You know, so um, is there a but, reason? Is there a, sorry to interrupt? Is there a reason yeah. why three a.m. Is there a 
what's the intention behind 3 a.m.? There is. And that, that brings up a good point. And I'll get to that. But it's when more, I'll get to that more, but to answer specifically that question, that's at 3 a.m. is when we could say the peak of the energy from midnight to dawn is the halfway point between dawn and midnight. And so it's even at, at midnight is when the yin energy of the darkness of the night starts receding and the first energies of, of, of day start rising like that but at 3 a.m already there's more of a balance so that's the time of harmony between the dark and the light and that's a time when the it's believed the celestial spirits descend or ascend because there's no up or down it's in the holographic reality but we can let's just say descend because we look at heaven as above but um that's when the we can just say that's when the heavenly spirits enter the ceremony lodge at that hour and that's a very important difference between, and that's what I speak about in the blog, is about this phenomena of the hourly clock. And um, while this is spoken of, and I've heard it being spoken of um, by indigenous by the sequoia, it's it's kind of similar to acupuncture. Like the Mayans have a, a rudimentary type of acupuncture; they know quite a bit about meridians and use like you know different thorns to stimulate points, but. No one has taken it as far as the Chinese when it comes to acupuncture and the study of the meridians. And, and, and the same is true with the, with the um, hourly clock. It's very, uh, very precise information there related to the traditional Chinese medicine. But we have to remember that traditional Chinese medicine comes from ancient shamanic Taoism. And it's just being found a way to modify itself and modify itself so it can be accepted in the modern time and not, you know, like... And even though a lot of, you know, schools of traditional Chinese medicine are not going to, like, get anywhere close to learning what the old school Taoist masters know, they'll learn different peripheral aspects of that are like, and so um, that's, it's, it's, it's eloquently elaborated in the traditions, in especially in the five element theory and traditional Chinese medicine talks about the hourly clock is different organs, you know, have, and you can tell, like, diagnose different people's circumstances, depending on, like, if they feel more sleepy at a certain hour of the day or certain things that they're undergoing during certain hours of the day relate to deficiencies or of uh, or maybe too much stimulation of certain organs so um that goes back to this phenomena of basically ayahuasca for the most part is a medical tradition like originally it was you know the, they used it so that they could have and that's Manco Capac, the founding father, when he rose it from his grave to teach Roca how to use the ayahuasca, he says that you could have the wisdom that I have, right? And Manco Capac lived to 800 years old, and um, according to legend. But now in modern times, really for the most part, and you know, ayahuasca, especially in the Amazon, has been used as a medical tradition. And so the maestro, the curandero, or the yachak, as they say, is the name of a Kichwin in Yahya drink, ayahuasca drinker, not where they call me yachak, which means yacha is wisdom, someone who embodies wisdom. The They do their healings, like basically from sunset to midnight. And um, the patients, for the most part, won't drink the ayahuasca. Just the maestro drinks, maybe a disciple. And they use the ayahuasca to base, you know, to summon and work with elemental energies or primal energies or doctor healing spirits, basically, or just spirits, basically, because these spirits um, can be used. They can be channeled by a skilled practitioner of this holy art um, 
to heal pretty much anything really. Um, but that's been now so. It's important to understand that ayahuasca makes everything. You know, when you, this this. Okay, well, I'll just backtrack a bit. So at 3 a.m., the, the ceremonies of Yahe are really more of like, a, I would classify them as a Dharma school. Um, because, why do I say this? Because they were taught by God's multicolored people, divine immortals, so that humanity, so that the sequoias could recuperate their original unadorned nature. And so that's kind of more like what Dharma is about, like, you know, embodying a heavenly way of life. You know, so Sequoia Elder will heal because because they can, you know, <laughs> and they'll do it laughing too because they're just following their dharma and, and um, they won't charge money for it. Even a traditional ayahuasca will never charge, but it's always expected that the the patient has to give something or stay and volunteer. Um, I saw one time a foreigner was asked an elder master to do a limpia on him, but didn't know you're supposed to always give a prend an object. So the old master took his cell phone out and started rubbing his cell phone over the body of the patient. And the next, the, the later was like, did you see that? He rubbed me by the cell phone shaman. I'm like, was that was amazing. Like he rubbed a cell phone over my body. Like, whoa, what was going on there? So I explained to him, the thing is that you're supposed to give anything, like a coin, a dollar, um, a bandana, or like a gift, usually a little bit of money. And then I'm um, symbolic, and then they rub that over your body because what what that does is it makes so that the, there's an energetic exchange, and it, and the, the, they believe that the illness that the, the the patient has doesn't jump onto the shaman. And so in this case, since he didn't give anything, you know they they're very compassionate, being so they're not going to like go like, where's my prenda? None of that, you know. No, they just bust out their phone or something or watch, rub it over your body to simulate that. For the spirits to be happy, okay, no, this guy is, you know, but then it's up to the patient if they get better to later go pay something or volunteer at the house of the elder. But um, the sequoias, basically, the, the way they use, they're all too aware of the different energetic re reality. So from sunset to midnight is when um, the elemental spirits come out, like different terms in the traditional Chinese medicine phenomena related to these times of the day are called, I have it on my blog, just a few that I found from a website that interpreted some of the ways that um, the hourly clock is looked at like sunset is like or like like nine o'clock at night is like the time of dismemberment. You know, like most people when they drink ayahuasca at that time is when they're being crunched hard. When the if they drink at six and the brew kicks in, you're being swallowed by the boa, reticulated. But this is the time when the elemental primal energies come out. So every every noise that occurs under the influence of the ayahuasca is like an invocation. Most people don't realize that. A lot of people don't handle this with the seriousness it takes. The ceremony Yayahe, for example, has a very clear understanding of that. And um, even in traditional ayahuasca context, like I used the analogy of like at a renowned concert hall, if you're going to go see a famous, you know, pianist, you know, everybody would be well seated. When everyone is quiet and well seated, some moments later, you know, the outcome is the pianist and the, and the concert begins, you know. So that's, I talk, that's how the Yahe likes to be handled. Because we're we're dealing with the most profound consciousness on the planet. Ayahuasca is the like can outsmart the, these new quantum computers. <laughs> My friend asked me the other day, "What do you think about artificial intelligence?" I said, "I thought about it for a while." I said, "It's like a horsefly on God's ass." Basically, like the ayahuasca is like the master chess player of all masters, the invincible chess player. 
And if you're not playing any games with it, it can show you all kinds of things. But if you had the most, and most people aren't even aware that they're playing games because they don't even know what playing a game is because they're just, they don't, they're not raised in a, with a sacred spiritual culture way of life. I'm so happy you touched on this yeah. because this is like a really huge conversation about approaching these medicines with reverence and respect and understanding. Um, you said in your blog that every ayahuasca ceremony is going haywire. Um, do you think that could be because of, of uh, people gathering, not understanding even their own intentions? Because we have, uh, there are things that are internally within us that are um, hidden from our perception. So sometimes we don't even realize the, the lack of. Uh, coming into the space of uh, the realization of what we are communing with that realization for sure and that's also you know that's why the these guidelines are to help prevent things because i mean there's a lot of reasons why ayahuasca ceremonies can go haywire it's not that they all go haywire and for the most part you know it helps people like i was saying earlier you know ping pong them ball hopefully back onto a good track um, but there's also i have met people that you know are you know, basically pretty shattered and have taken quite a while to, to recuperate. And that's not a good thing, you know, like ultimately like can completely set someone's life off course. And the humble, sincere people that like, you know, there's people that could, you know, use a whooping and get their butts you know, set back a bit to learn. But some people, you know, that happens to them and I could, I, you know, I, I feel sorry for them. Like, no, you could have avoided that, you know. And um, and then other people that they start learning the tradition of, yeah, of becoming like facilitators. And then they, when they gain a little bit of knowledge, if they don't follow certain protocols, it gets snatched for them in seconds and then they're scared to drink. I know people that won't drink anymore. That's it for me, you know. Um, but if yeah. you follow the guidelines, right, you can drink your whole life. My maestro, bless his heart, just passed. He was Don Cesario. Diego Piaguaje, great man of, of men. One of the most beautiful, wholesome human beings that I've had the holy honor of ever meeting. He was my teacher of this tradition. I lived five years with him between 19... Um, 95 in the year 2000 and then went back many many times he just he passed and right on easter sunday this march at 120 years old and drank stiff yeah his whole life so he you know you can drink this your whole life you just have to have the protocols down pat um and so yeah so basically the situation is that from sunset to midnight come out the elemental spirits those are the spirits that the curanderos use to heal but they use those to heal because they're graduated what does it mean to graduate it means to basically connect with the celestial spirits, with the divine immortals. Once you have consecrated, which another way of looking at, and that means to, to like, you know, basically embody universal law, align yourself to universal, subtle way of life, to the integral universal law. Um, once this consecration has been made and you're, then these people can use, because they have, you know, they, they devote themselves to healing the people to helping people that have a purpose. So there's a consecration and a purpose um, that has to, uh, and that, that, that has to be just, you know, that, uh, but both the consecration have the pur purpose have to be justified in the eyes of the divine immortals. The only purposes that are even like noticed by the divine immortals are to merge with them and to help ameliorate basically, you know, the, conditions for of, of all life and so if they're not according to those purposes then it's not 
you know, going to be recognized or supported by the celestial spirits. And um, How, so once so, uh -huh. sorry to sorry, I have some I have a few questions if that's okay, Jonathan. Yeah, of course, please. This is so interesting. So the graduated uh, medicine facilitator, not shaman. You're not talking about shamans. This is something else. Like uh, uh, the, um, they they almost like does that mean they summon the the celestial spirits because they are aligned? And how what does that alignment look like? I'll share more about that in a little bit. Basically, okay. Well, no, that's a beautiful question. Thank you. Um, well, through the way the sequoias do is usually through, is through dietas, the dieting out in the wilderness, long period, you know, extended dieting. Dieta is basically a, a Spanish word, but what it really means is uh, is pr practicing energy concentration. So they have to they have to concentrate their energy so much it's almost like a magnifying glass. When you bend, if it's off course and it doesn't direct the light properly, it just kind of diffuses the sun. But if you get it precise, you can start a fire with that. So it's like that. You have to. The, so the dietas are for concentrating the energy. Traditionally, the dietas they would go into the wilderness and then they would they would use ayahuasca to prove the veracity of their dieta. So if they met celestial spirits with the through the through the yahe ceremony, then their dieta was basically accomplished. And then otherwise they could they have to continue dieting. And there's many levels of graduation. You know, there's like so many, but um. You know, like for one of the things, like one of the ways, one of the examples of is not so much what they do, what these people do, but the circumstances that surround them. So like always, you know, a graduated maestro will, will have a very um, rounded personality. Um, there's no scheming or conniving. You know, these people are sincere, um, oftentimes even too sincere for this Brutally, savagely off course, epically corrupted society that we that we're part of. You know, the, the corrupt the level of corruption is so deep. Most people like, you know, that consider themselves like wholesome beings are corrupted beyond measure and are clueless about that. And uh, but that doesn't mean you know no one's here judging anyone. But if you want to open your eyes and see things what they really are, you know. But um, a lot of these like a lot of these you know basically. A good maestro doesn't hold any discriminations against anybody or or even would never dare make opinions even or judgments really because they know the complexity of the psychology of the human mind and it's impossible to judge anything or even make opinions on anything either. So it's a different kind of person that for the most part, since the world is so corrupted, they usually are might, you know, go in hiding, like there could be the guy, the, the baker, you know. Everyone in the grandmother could have met him a thousand times and never know that that's the, the wizard high-level master disguised as the baker, you know, for the most. So it's, but it's a, it's a, and then, you know, there's other people, there's different levels. There's multiple levels. It's, it's, it's beautifully interwoven fabric, the reality behind these, these things. And so it's, so what I was, what I was saying is that one of the, um, one of the ayahuasca has been transferred into the West now. It's kind of been transferred as maybe an enlightenment tradition, but it's really a medical tradition, but without the graduated maestros. So people don't realize that any sound made, and especially of certain protocol, like look, every spirit in the multi-universe wants this. You take this out right now, you open this right here. 
everything is there looking at it. And then most people are clueless. They're just singing songs around the campfire. For the most part, like, you know, our natural unadorned sincerity is good, you know, like makes, makes it where the, the spirits are inert. They can't do anything for the most part. Um, but then there's sometimes when there's certain transgressions that occur, and then those spirits can like start tampering with the ceremony. So like the elemental spirits that come out from sunrise to midnight, they're still closer by. They can be, they're bound by duality. So they can do good or they can do harm. But for the most part on their own, they don't do anything. They're just in their, the maestro directs them to either heal or do harm. And there's schools, there's been schools of, of, of maestros. It's like samurai specifically set up to topple and kill shamans. But that's, maybe we could say how they got so good because they had to protect themselves too. But um, it's crazy. In the Amazon, there's, there's been schools specifically these people have been specifically devoted to learning all the ways you can kill someone through spiritual um, malice. Understand, uh-huh. um, Jonathan. Quick question: So, um, what are your thoughts on the entity exorcisms in the ayahuasca ceremonies? Is well, there? Yeah, yeah. Is there? Uh, such yeah, a, but just is, I wanted to just sure. to mm-hmm. So basically, so like that's why I say in the blog, like people sincerely wanted to use grandmother medicine, another name for the medicine, which is very loving too and forgiving, especially if certain protocols are handled. Like it's best to drink, like the sequoias do, but stay quiet until two, at least midnight or two in the morning. They drink stiff; they're having visions, but it's dead stillness, um, because of not wanting to invoke because. And um, the elementals at two, three in the morning when the celestial spirits enter the ceremony lodge, and the, the shamans are toasty high by by then after drinking two or three times. That's when they start singing, and then everything just—it's like you know the just the absolute most precious realities are shown to the participants. So the thing of of, of exorcism and stuff, and yeah, I mean that exists and stuff, but for the most part, it's highly exaggerated, and blown off course too. Like a lot of shamans, you know, like sly of hand, like they have to like cough out a spine or like do things to like. But it can be like a psychological, like in in, in situ settings. Oftentimes, like the you know different maestros, they have like different like you know tricks up your sleeve and sometimes it could actually be happening other times it's like you fake it till you make it and it's a bit like sly a hand but like um to kind of um, trigger a psychological like sort of in response but if it's used like the coyote medicine if that's used like it like once you meet the celestial spirits there's there's one in a million different like you know phenomena that the maestros can use because all the spirits have different phenomena all the illnesses basically have a spiritual counterpart. And so that's why this, you know, um, oftentimes, like, that's why, like, the Sequoia, I, I wrote about in my book, they use the, the demon king, the Pine Hoyawati, the, the people heart spirit, that's like a hollow chest that comes, that's a mirror hanging there. They can, there's a lot of profound stories related to this this um, divinity, we could say, or deity, but this, um, they can, they call the spirits that cause the harm, and, and so that malice goes back onto the spirit, and they leave, and, um, and then that person gets healed is you know one of the things that can happen. But yeah, like this, a lot of times people confuse just like there's a lot of things going on, and oftentimes it's not like actual spirit possession. I tell you exactly why I'm asking you because um when when people are not educated in this, um, or at least lack of understanding, they literally think that there is a something physical outside of them, living inside of them and and doing malice. 
And yeah, well, the thing is, what, they what, need to, yeah. They're so this this we were not raised with the sacred culture like the sequoias. Like I talk about that at the end in the chapter on integration. Like Terence McKenna, I had the great fortune of being a personal friend with him and spent some quality time speaking. I clearly remember an occasion that we spoke about this. And um, I'm sure if you go through his podcast, the hundreds of hours of raves, it'll, it'll be somewhere in there too. I haven't had the time to do that, but he said that in the Amazon where the people are raised with the plants the lessons already incorporated into people's life so being such a foreign thing and such you know like we're not raised with a, in, amongst a sacred cultural way of life and we're like you know like a lot of us are like you know like oh my god this is nuts like consumer culture industrial revolution we want like to return permaculture back to the land that's the, you know that whole movement that's ultra beautiful um, but that still doesn't mean we're raised in a sacred way of life. You know, even we have that desire to return. So the ayahuasca is so foreign to the modern mind. And then like, we have to find a, a justification excuse. You know, it's very hard for modern people to just like throw it into the wind and go, we're all one, you know, like just ha ha laugh while you're dying. You know, like you're not going to find that today. So we got to figure out what the hell, you know, reaction. It's like, so that's like the coming ayahuasca, boom, oh my God, spirit possession. Ah! You know, it's like, but it's it's just like rewiring of like the thing, you know, the of the mind that could be. Like, I'm not saying that there are rare examples of where, yes, yeah, spirit possession does exist and it can happen. And like, you know, good level masters are, are very skilled at like, you know, chopping heads off of spirits or bringing them, having divine immortals bring them into the sun to get burned into oblivion or trapping inside, you know, boxes or cages, throw them into water. Like, there's a million and one ways that like shamans, you know, can handle exorcisms. But like most good shamans will say, yeah, it's just pretty much a joke to get the freaking patient to go, boom, whoa, I'm healed. You know, like if that's what it takes, good, that's what it takes to heal. Eventually they'll figure it out that no, it's just, you know, it's like, you know, it's a complicated, you know, array of realities. There's, but for the most case, in most instances, it's not spirit possession. It's just like that cathartic release that's so foreign. And so they're like, and it's, it's a reaction to trying to like just, you know, like understand what just happened. So it's quick, either the ayahuasca spoke to me or I'm being possessed by spirits. But um. So a lot of the dieta, basically the dieta protocol is intended to avoid those kind of things. And some people, there's like a lot of, you know, part of the, some people push it too hard, too fast. I had a, an example of a friend of mine who went to drink with his wife medicine. A lot of the people that serve it don't prepare it. If you're not preparing your own medicine, you don't really know what you have. Um, a lot of the medicine is prepared very, very thick. They don't know that you're supposed to water it down for regular ceremonies, so they serve it out much too strong. There's all kinds of protocols related to drinking ayahuasca. It's very thick, honey-like, and then they don't know those protocols. And in the situation in, with this, you know, specific example, you know, um, this um, my friend's wife on the drive home. You know, the first night, second night, third night, just drinking a small amount of very thick ayahuasca, nothing. Second night, nothing. Third night, nothing. Okay, it's all over. Thank you all. That was a beautiful experience. Didn't experience much, but thank you. It's been great hanging out on the drive home. You know, like it explodes her mind while her, fortunately her husband was driving and she and it took her like months to come back. And he's like asking me what I should do. Like, you have to go back to the maestro that you went back to the maestro. No, I can't help you. Like, you know, the classic, like once the, you know, they, you know, they, it's all fine and dandy until the shit hits the fan. They don't know what to do. So that shows the people's lack of ability to know. Because what you're supposed to do is drink a medicine again. The ayahuasca itself, 
where the yahed helps fix that person and can heal them. Um, but you need to have a little bit of skill set to do that. So there's a lot of so that's what I'm hoping to help share, you know, humbly share this information with the hopes that those interested can because you know the objective is is not to help, you know, have people lose it on the drive home, you know. Yeah, I understand that. And thank you for sharing this and clarifying. So it's just uh, another way of uh, releasing whatever that is uh, um, that we tend to attach to, like meanings, like uh, there's physical things outside of us. Uh, but it could be well be the internal release of whatever that is that wasn't aware, uh, that we weren't aware and it wasn't available to our perception. Precisely, it's hard to say exactly what's going on. There are cases where spirit attach spirit attachments happen, and, and those can be cleansed with the kopal incense cleanse. I have that written on my blog. There's a cleanse your aura with kopal, and um, I recently gave a talk at the International Herbal Symposium, and two women were at the talk from the Apache Indian Reservation. They came up and they thanked me very much that they were that the information that would be very useful to them. They said I was deeply thankful to them. It was a wonderful experience to be able to share because I've always been fascinated with the Apaches from reading, you know, the book Watch for Me in the Mountain by the life story of Geronimo, the Indian, last Indian war shaman of North America. It's 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 you know that's you know centuries back, but it's part of our history. Yeah. And um yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's easy for people to try to, like most shamans always, even in Ecuador, like in the Amazon, authentic shamans, it's witchcraft. It's all witchcraft. It's all witchcraft, sorcery. And they always like to blame who did it and this and that. And we have to be really careful not to get caught in the confines of our of our of of the traps of our minds. You know, like that's what, that's why I relate, you know, and refer to the tradition of the integral way of Tao. And um, we're like, you know, because these oral traditions of the ayahuasca and the oral traditions, there's a lot to be learned. Even if you go spend five years amongst these people, most of them, you know, you can only learn just a little bit or certain aspects of it. And so, and um, a lot of the teachings are wordless teachings that the master imparts through blowing their experience onto the medicine and charging it so you can drink it and come closer to the experience that the maestros have. And then so, um, the Taoist canon and also any you know of the beautiful world heritage traditions. That's why I, I bring in some of the Sufi mystical poets. I say just to blur the edge of duality, you know, like Hafiz and like that beautiful um story by the Atar um of, of Persian Sufi story of the, the conference of the birds. I found to be very similar to describing the experience that people undergo when they start drinking meadows, yahe or ayahuasca, very similar. So um, these are universal truths that the, these medicines bring up. So it's it's in our best interest if we're sincerely interested to learn about this and to, um, you know, acute to some of the people that have come before us that have, you know, done us the favor of leaving these, you know, treasures of literature um, plus, they make for great reading too, you know. Um, but you know, Master Nee says it clears a bell. One inch of attachment is one inch of spiritual entrapment. I love that. Uh -huh. And so it's everything is, and everything isn't. Nobody can say what's really going on, especially when it comes to the like the mystical phenomena. All we can do is try to be sincere and see what the results and results are. Like if people are, you know, leave the ceremony happy smiling then we know it's good i had a lot of doubts about this when i was first doing this and i finally was able to visit master knee that was master knee 
And because uh, I saw in his, one of his books, the Taoist interview with the universe and the immortal realms in the back of the book, he said he offers birth chart readings. And I was like, I couldn't even believe that you could actually get to meet this person. I was like, oh my God, you can actually meet Master. And he's like, offers birth chart reading. So I signed up for one. They're like, oh yeah, when he comes back from China in six months, and they finally scheduled me and they coordinated a visit to my mother's home in the United States just around that and went to visit him. And that was super proper. And, um, you know, but I, I spoke to him about the ayahuasca. He was kind of mildly, you know, like interested. I was like, yeah, it gives you visions, you vomit, and all this about the elders, indigenous way of life I was sharing with my experience. I was living in the Amazon at the time. And, and I asked him what he thought about it. <clears throat> he, he, he said, and it was very helpful with his, the profound wisdom of the utter simplicity. He said, if you see that it's helping people, you know it's good. I love that. So simple and so basic and so human level, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. I have two more questions. I know we're coming mm -hmm. to the end of our conversation. Um, personal question. What are your thoughts on, again, this is to do with entities. What are your thoughts on people coming back from the ayahuasca ceremonies, believing that they have these entities that either attach from the other people or from the ceremony or whatever or inside of them? And then... <laughs> Yeah, and then going to um, then then asking um, like paying other people around the world from across the like from another country because we have a we have a, some friends who yep. have um, other um, healers that wow. energetically help them from a distance to get the entities out. What are what are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> Well, basically, like I say, you know, if the end result is good and they become, and they're happy and they feel like, you know, a relief, they, you, if there's like divisible results, because yeah, distance healing is a reality. People know how to do that and some become very skilled at it and who's blessed to know someone who can help from afar that's a lucky person. And, uh, but, you know, ultimately, you know, you have to judge it based on if the person is healed and if they feel fine and they come back to their normal selves, then, you know, and, um, and these people usually they know how to do this are very humble people too because that's a, a advanced um uh traditional practice basically reiki masters can do that um and the thing with entities i mean yeah i mean who's to say i mean like there's a lot of hocus you know like there's a lot of crud out there you know people die unprepared um a lot of animals you know die when they're not ready you know like sudden deaths and there's like um Lots of like you know wandering ghosts and human beings have according to the um to the energy map that I talk about uh, you know referred to in the, in the in the article is um, we have a fluid communion with either uh, one notch up which is to like na nature spirits or one notch down to ghosts and demons nature spirits can go up one level to like you know DD starry beings and down. and then you know starry beings and mountain deities can go up you know piercing through that first level of the veil between the realms of time and space and the realms transcendent of time and space to the divine realms, the immortal realms. Um, we call it divine because they're different, but I mean, everything's divine really um, because, but that's, you know, but so the divine immortals, they can transcend all the realms without modifying their energy construct. So basically human beings, we have a fluid connection to up or down. So in a lot of, you know, there's a lot of funky stuff out there. And like a lot of times, you know, maybe people aren't totally um, um, knowledgeable of how to protect the space or create a safe container or people who do healings 
for example, on people, if it's spirit attachment, it could jump onto someone else. Like, you know, it's a strange thing. If someone's feeling totally fine and they come out of an ayahuasca ceremony, they feel absolutely like, you know, bad for a long time and they feel there's voices in their head. You know, who's to say it's not spirit possession? That can't happen. You know, because usually when it's like a cathartic release, I've seen people absolutely lose it on the medicine. You have to hold them down. Little petite woman this big, four of us holding her down. She's in crazy, like, release. It's like, ah. You know, like, but then a few days later, they're like, you know, like, they don't remember that that happened most of the time. And then they're like completely inspired, like, and like they found their path and they're like on a mission and like supercharged and ready to go. But if someone like, you know, it drags on for, you know, time, month or two, and they're really feeling, you know, like off skelter, like they're not themselves. That's a, the Kopal incense cleanse can help. Um, yeah. And spirit possession that can happen. That's a, that's a reality that, that can happen. We have to be careful to um, making sure that we avoid that from happening. There's many different ways that we can avoid that from happening. Okay. Thank you so much for clarifying again. And the last question I have is the factors of, uh, what are the factors that bring on ayahuasca precarious nature? Yeah. Well, like I say, basically, everything that occurs during the ceremony of ayahuasca is like an invocation. So it's very important to stay quiet in the onset of the ceremonies. Sometimes if people are good enough at protecting the space, then they can make, they can sing, and it doesn't matter. Like if you have the ability to create the celestial shield, it's called like, <clears throat> and create like a like an umbrella, a, a spiritual umbrella around the space where everyone's protected, then you can fart, shit, scream. Ultimately, you know, the as the old saying goes, for what is the shaman's patio? If it's not for shitting on and puking on, you know, so it's just like, you know, then the flip side of it, if you can have a safe container, you can not everything goes and everything's fine and everyone wakes up laughing in their own puke surrounded by trash, you know, and, uh, happier than they've ever been, you know, like, so it's not like, you know, it's, it's, you know, and the, the cup doesn't have to be crystal or silver ring. It could be a plastic cup that you picked up on the street, you know, like, you know, like, um, so it's, uh, but that's one of the things, like, for example, like it's important to bless the medicine, like with Kopal incense, you bless it, bless it, because the Kopal helps is sticky. The, the Kopal saps would help to take off all the sticky spirits and, and, and it invokes the celestial spirits. And it's good to like, you can like go to a church, even if you're not religious. And by the way, the, you know, the participation in West Carolina doesn't require anyone to leave their faith either which is something that's very beautiful about this. Um, it can help them deepen through their own faith, discover the truth. And so you can go to a church and because you know and get holy water and sprinkle it on the room. The room has to be maybe smudged, not just smudged, but also blessed with like holy water or with like sage. If you have to pray to the medicine and give the, you know, the, that intentions, like treat it like a highly conscious sentient entity pray to please our your children we've come accept us as your children we've come here to learn to grow to heal to become wise may everyone in the room be protected may everyone in the room be safe you know set up altars to the directions and have fun really creating a sacred space together and then once everything is wound down and everything's quieted down and everything's quiet then oh i, I gotta go take a pee okay go take a pee come back and everyone's quiet then oh i gotta ruffle and get something out of the bag okay Everyone got all their things. One other person. Oh, okay. Everything's set. Everything's set. Finally, everything's set. Okay. Go to sleep for an hour. 
And then you go to sleep for an hour at midnight, wake up. It's good to drink the medicine at midnight. Not too early in the night, that way you avoid waking up or, or cause because no, most people don't, don't realize even the slightest movement or sound can be like a type of invocation. And then at midnight, you wake up and smudge the energy, really good smudge. And then it's good, like I like to recommend people to drink alone. You go to sleep, wake up at midnight, take a cold shower, do some exercises, smudge out really good, comb your hair, make a prayer, and then drink the medicine. So it starts coming on at three in the morning. Yep. And wow. then the Dieta Protocol, we have it on our website, the rainforestmedicine.net. Read my book, um, but also on the Dieta Protocol, goes through like a lot of different contraindicative medications. And most, for the most part, most people are aware of now that have to be avoided. And there's also cultural um, sensitivities there that help, basically they're all intended to help steer this to be an auspicious experience because that, that's what we need. And that's the original intention of the medicine is to empower people to awaken. Um, so that we can try to be part of something much better than making things chaotic, at least, you know? Yeah, this is a, this is a very powerful. And lastly, what are your offerings? I know you hold these beautiful uh, ceremonies and sessions. Um, where can they find you? What are, what's coming up for you next? Uh, what can, where can we, you know, find more information? I know we, we're going to be putting all the links in the show notes but uh, if you could tell us um what's coming up next that uh, if our listeners resonate with you they can find you well thank you so much yeah well for many years i worked in ecuador i lived between ecuador and costa rica and uh, we were influential in helping to create this national park that's like the the sapphire ring i've never got i've never won a ring yet but this even though i married the sapphire ring the graduation ring is like the creation of the Napo Galeras National Park. That was between 1990 and 1995. Five years I worked up relocate colonist settlers, insane adventures. Like the nature was on our side because like sometimes you have to do missions and right when we got there, boom, there's earthquakes while you're arriving to like say, uh, you're living inside a national park. You're going to have to take a hike, relocating colonists. That was crazy work. Anyway, so I love going back there because I feel I have a spiritual affinity with this beautiful spot. And I'm a botanist. Um, by training. So this set, this spot is of the Napo Galeras wilderness. It's a 13,000 hectares that was we were influential in getting included into the Napo, um, Sumaco Napo Galeras National Park. It's at the, right on the equator at the base of the Andes in Ecuador and um, upper Amazon. And so we have a tour on November 21st to the 27th, limited to 12 people. We already have five people signed up. So there's a few spaces left. And that's going to be really nice. We do. Uh, we have elders there that help do different aura cleanses with medicinal plant baths and cool cleanses of all kinds. We do. We drink medicine too. And we hike into the wilderness. And there's caves. Oh, to go inside these caves and sing together and it reverberates. It's really nice. And that's a very whole. That's a holy site because pilgrims of old would go there, especially when they wanted to learn, and they would drink the medicine there. It's believed to be a place that was. That's um auspicious for the use of learning the medicine ways and so we drink the we have beautiful ceremonies there. that's in november and then um at our lodge in costa rica we were um, for the past 23 years i've lived most of the time in costa rica we built up this beautiful lodge we have a a hill in the back of the lodge we caught the the old hill or the the black turtle's back and it's just an exquisite spot that we've been blessed with um, I'm not sure how I got this lucky. Maybe, well, I mean, that, it wasn't gifted to me. It came from a lot of work. I mean, lots of work. 20 years having to land the boat up, dodging waves, capsizing boats, 
having to haul your stuff in the midnight on horseback, like living in the wilderness, like, you know, but it's uh, it's much easier now because there's a road now at the end of the beach. We have Wi-Fi now and electricity, but we have this really beautiful hill um, with a little ceremony lodged up on the hill with the rainforest behind and the ocean in front. And that's more eco-lodge comfort. The Galena's trip is a little bit more roughing it. We have to camp out in tents out in the wilderness, but um, super intimate. There's hardly any bugs and no malaria in that part of the upper Amazon. It's the origin location of the cacao tree and it's the epicenter of botanical diversity. Then in Costa Rica is exquisitely beautiful too. We have this lodge there and uh, we have the eco lodge comfort. People have you know cabins and then we have the ceremony lodge up on the hill. And uh, so there's uh, people can see scarlet macaws and toucans and and be a part of supporting our work through participating and receive a very enriching experience. I'm very, very honored that and thankful I've been doing this for over 30 years and we haven't had anyone lose it in our ceremony. So yeah, it's been rough. We have more than one go off screaming when we bring it, bring it back in. But, you know, like by the next day, they're like, whoa, just like, you know, I've seen the light, you know, like it's, so I, I I know that like you know with when this is handled with the humbleness the humility and, and um with the seriousness that it deserves but it's also we like to say it's a serious joke because we have to be jovial about it too we have to be sincere and that's how it was when I learned with the sequoias like the camaraderie the fellowship we're here to learn with the yahoo strong no one's saying a word like that's why the sequoias dished out super strong because. If you cannot like lose it and start screaming, oh, there's like you like you can see that to even make a peak is like the like the sin basically. And when it starts coming down again, two three in the morning, you start singing, and it all opens up, and people can have really profound, super ultra beautiful experience that marked your life in a positive way. The intention of this is to help people reorient their life compass. We've had people that have come on our retreats, all kinds of amazing things that were like a computer technologist, but like, you know, they were just doing because they're of their work. And now they're like accomplished painters, you know, like found their passions. We've had people walk in on crutches and throw their crutches away and leave dancing. Um, sometimes everything aligns and it really works wonderfully. Other times people just have a downright good experience. Um, so it's all... A progression. I'm happy to speak with anybody too. Like, if, and there's also, you know, maybe Susan, if you want to, it sounds like there might be a specific case you're talking about. Cause like you say about spirit attachment, but each case is very specific. Like if you'd like to speak privately about whatever you might be experiencing with someone, you know, or anybody, um, I'm happy to connect. There are some things that can be done that can help. Yeah. That's in particular, the, the Kopal incense cleanse is a good place to start. That's published on our blog. Yeah. So yeah. So we have the the trip in November, and then we have another council gathering in January. Um, we only do these two or three times a year. It's kind of an organic thing. But also, we have the lodge that people could visit anytime, just as an independent traveler, or if people want to do a private trip to Ecuador and contact me. If November's not good, they could we can organize some fun and adventures. <laughs> so wonderful and very helpful. Thank you so much, Jonathan, and thank you for all the wisdom. Um, I just have my own personal one last thing I want to ask you. What did it feel like taking an ayahuasca or yahe at the age of uh, 12 for you? <laughs> I had a really beautiful experience. Yeah, I remember positive experience. It was interesting because I, I had experienced, and it might have been basically influenced, probably was for sure, because the day before we we um, hunted an armadillo and they, they flooded it out with water in the hole and the armadillo comes out and they, they catch it and there's dinner. 
And that was kind of tra tra traumatic for me because I you know, raised in the city of Quito. I'd never seen an animal get killed. And um, the next day we drank the medicine, the ayahuasca. So I saw myself going down into a hole. And the sides of it were like the under, like when there's a, the water lines, swing lines from the, well, the sunlight going through the water on the bottom of like a pool or shallow river. You can see the lines like that, you know. And I ran, I came out a hole on the other side. And I came out to this whole other world that was like a, cow, a pasture land with some grazing um, uh, horses and cows and trees kind of scattered distantly. And then it woke. That was the only thing I could remember. But then many years later, I went back to work in that same um, village. Actually, years later, we helped to form a reserve. It's still there. And I'm still in communi communication with this community, the Amasanga community. And we formed a 3,000-hectare biological reserve called the Eternal Rainforest of the Children Biological Reserve. It's 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 like the only forest left bordering the park. Both sides are all pasture land in front, too. But it's like 3,000 acres at the mouth of the Yushin River. It's an epic spot. From that, from that spot, I haven't been out there in years because it's a little remote, hard to get to, but you can see way on the other side this giant waterfall in the Sangai National Park. Two huge waterfalls collide in midair. And um, Don Taita Rafael, the elder of the community, said that um, the legends of old sailor with the shaman masters used to be able to, there's a like teleport, that, there's like a worm tube where they could transport themselves through that cave behind those waterfalls up into festivals at the Andes and come back. Um, but essentially, when I went back to work there and formed the reserve, I remembered it was much like the vision now. It's like a whole different landscape of like scattered pasture lands with grazing horses and cows and scattered trees. So in a way, it was kind of a prophetic vision. But um, ayahuasca is like, just like a, you know, kind of like it forms itself like a lump of clay and falls over, boom. And fall. When the, the energy picks up, you can't take any of it too seriously. The, the, the elder maestro say, take none of it seriously. People take it way too serious. And it's hard for people because that's another part of our that we're not used to having such a profound experience and not taking it seriously. Um, <clears throat> there's parts of it that have to be taken seriously, like the advice that the medicine gives you. Sometimes it's hard to live up to that. But um, ultimately, no sacrifices are necessary according to the traditions of Tao, other than trying to adhere to an integral way of life. And that is the end of our conversation beautifully <laughs> executed in the last words thank you so much jonathan it's always thank pleasure you. having you back and it's just so much learning and you're the first person talked about yaya as the dharma like it just it's a lifelong practice devotion learning that changes everything we you know, think about the way the, the medicine can about. wake up to Dharma. It wakes us up to a Dharma path. Ultimately, then the medicine is not necessary if you can learn certain ways into align to an integral way of life. That's why some people can't always drink medicine. They have to make the most of it. They can drink once, boom, and they can change their life forever and they're back on the path. Um, in case some of the listeners are are not aren't able to view the links, our websites are for the book is rainforestmedicine.net. And for the lodges, um, oceanforest.org. That's wonderful. Thank you. Very helpful. All right. Thank you so much. And one last shout out to um, our Clubhouse crew, like uh, our listeners, if you are interested in learning more and listening, the Clubhouse, the audio drop-in social platform. We're also there as Psychedelic Conversations. Um, we have bi-weekly uh, sessions 
uh, live, audio live, and uh, you can come and join us. And we'll have Jonathan there as one of our teacher presenters. And you can have more chance of asking direct questions. And we'll always have a Q&A. And, uh, and yeah, it would be amazing and beautiful. So Jonathan, look forward to be having more of your wisdom in our community and working together, uh, however it unfolds. So look forward mm. to connecting again. Thank you. No, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to honor to be on this podcast and that <laughs> <laughs> is uh, being summoned to lunch. So good time to go. <laughs> I know. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, hope you guys enjoy this yeah. conversation. Yeah. Hello, hello. <laughs> We have a little guest on the video. Um, it's so wonderful to meet your little one, Jonathan, and all the best. We'll see you again on the next one. Bye for now. Okay, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.